world seems to be living in fear. The church of Christ seems to be living in fear as a whole, not necessarily here at Liberty, but all over the world. But first, uh, 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7 still says, God has not given us a spirit of timidity or, or fear, but of power and of love and discipline, right? We've not been given a spirit of fear. That's not from God. God's not given us that. We've not been given a spirit of fear. Fear is not what defines us. Fear is not what directs our behavior, doesn't tell us what to do, doesn't control us. Now, do we, sense a, do we have a sense of danger at times? Yes, we, we, we've been saying that. Are we ever scared? Sure. Do we, do we ever fear? Of course we do. But do we respond in fear? Is that what we're supposed to do? No. We don't let fear control us. We don't let fear be the motivator for why we do what we do. We intentionally act in faith. Guys, we go through, as you know, many of the same storms that the world goes through. But we go through it with Jesus. And that makes it completely different. That completely changes the ballgame. Because we're going through it with Jesus. It makes all the difference. We've not been given a spirit of fear, but of power, we said last week, and of love. Let's talk about that this week. And then we'll go on when we get to next week. But for right now, let's contrast the spirit of fear that we've not been given and the spirit of love that we have been given, all right? T- today, that's what we want to do. Now, the word love that we find in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7, we've talked a lot about the word fear. Last week, we were, talked about the word power. Let's talk about the word love for just a second. That love, it might be the word that you might have guessed, or that word is the word that you might have guessed in, in Greek, agape, all right? A lot of you have done uh, some some form of uh, study, maybe some of you more than others or whatever, what have you, but, but you know that the Greek language has a variety of words for the word love so that you know whether you're talking about loving your wife, uh, loving nachos, loving God, you know, you, you will know the difference because uh, in the Greek language, they have different words for the type of love they're talking about. And this is agape, which a lot of us are somewhat familiar with. But in case you're not, what is agape? Well, to define this word, if you look in, um, you know, Greek lexicons and, and all that good stuff, all those study materials, if you look there, you'll find that, in my opinion, it's been reduced to terms like benevolence and, and charity. Now, I will say, but see, it's more than that, but I will say that I do appreciate that at least those words, benevolence and charity, those are words that if you'll think about it, it does take your mind to others, right? It's focusing on others. Benevolence and charity, it's, it's helping others. It's doing something. It's serving other people. And that's what agape is. It's all about other people, right? It's not about our feelings. It's about serving and helping other people. I think First John chapter 3, verse 18 articulates the most complete definition where, where he says, let us not love with word or with tongue, but in deed and truth, right? Indeed, in, in the works and the things that we do and, and in truth right? So agape love is doing what is spiritually best for the other person. Now, make sure you notice, I'm going to say this over and over today, but make sure you notice it is actually doing something. Agape love is doing something. This kind of love is not a feeling. It's not an emotion. It's something you do. When we're commanded to love one another and to love others in this way, we're being commanded to do what is spiritually best for our brothers and sisters in Christ, and to do what is spiritually best for those who are outside of our family in Christ as well. Today I want to focus on a particular passage of Scripture in 1 John chapter 4 that um, 
I think, expounds on this love for us, this type of love. I believe it shows us uh, some things we need to know. Now, here's the thing. This is a passage of Scripture that you can just gloss right over and be like, I know all that. I'm familiar with all that. And this is a sermon that you can just go, love sermon, you know, very generic. But it's not. This passage is not one to be glossed over. This sermon is not one to, to you know, let the eyes roll back in the back of the head. You know, no, this is an important message because this love is not the kind of love that we see a lot in the church. But we have a, a great picture of it, and there are, are nuggets of truth that if we'll dig into this, we'll see, okay, there's something powerful here, and, and there's some power in the church when they love like this. So turn to First John chapter 4, if you will. First John chapter 4, <clears throat> I want to look at verses 7 through 12 this morning. First John chapter 4, starting in verse 7, says, Beloved, let us love one another. Again, this is all talking about agape love. That's the, the connection here. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. By this, the love of God was manifested in us, that God has sent his only begotten Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. Now, there's a lot of good stuff right here. I'm going to drink Kendall's water because um, I've done something to my throat here all of a sudden. <clears throat> but there's a lot here that we need to kind of unpack. And so rather than doing any kind of big introduction, let's just jump into it. Uh, the first thing we see here is a command. We see the command to love one another. It's in the very first part of verse 7, right? The very first part of verse 7 says, Beloved, let us love one another. It's telling you to do that. It's telling you to do agape love to one another. Remember we said agape love is something that we do? So if you aren't doing something, listen, if you aren't doing something for others, if you aren't doing something for your brothers and sisters in Christ, if you're not doing anything, for your brothers and your sisters, for your church family, you are not loving the way that we've been told to love. Agape love is doing something. It's serving, it's selfless, and it's sacrificial, okay? It's serving, it's selfless, and it's sacrificial. I want us to see that. So if it's serving, that means that if you aren't serving, you aren't loving others the way that we've been told to love, the way we've been commanded. In Matthew chapter 20, verse 28, words of Jesus, very... Um, Famous words of Jesus here. Matthew chapter 20, verse 28 says, Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, that wasn't his purpose, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Now, I'm real confident. You know, I don't know all of you like on a deep, deep level, but I think I know all of you well enough to know that you do not wish to elevate yourself above the Son of God. And if he came not to be served, but to serve. I don't think any of us need to, you know, kick back and just wait to be served. I think we also need to find, be finding ways to serve and to love our brothers and sisters in Christ in that way. That's what we're supposed to be doing. We said it's also selfless. Not only is it serving, but it's selfless. So if you are considering the needs of others as more important, as greater than your own, 
then you aren't loving the way that we've been commanded to love. Look at Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. Uh, Philippians 2, 3, 4. That's how I remember this one. Do nothing from selfishness. See, it's selflessness that we're supposed to serve in. We're supposed to love this way. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also huh, for the interests of others. Like Christ, our love ought to be selfless, not selfish, selfless, right? That's how we ought to be demonstrating our love. Our love should be seen. It should be demonstrated. It should be something we're doing, and it should be demonstrated through selflessness. We should humble ourselves and put the needs of others above our own. That's what the Bible tells us to do. Those aren't Jake's words. That isn't some, um, some uh, great idea that I've come up with that, hey, sounds like it would work. That's what the Scripture says. But how many people really live that way? How many people actually regard the needs of others as more important than themselves? That doesn't mean that not everybody does. That doesn't mean that everybody doesn't sometimes. But how many people live that way? How many people make that their lifestyle? This is supposed to be who we are as Christians. Remember our, our theme verse, what we're talking about? We've not been given a spirit of, power, of uh, fear, but of power and love and discipline, right? And it's not talking about the Holy Spirit in, in that instance. Now, the Holy Spirit plays part, don't get me wrong. But he's talking about the Spirit. Like, like that's what makes you up. That's what describes you. When people think about you, they think, boy, their, their spirit is just one of love, right? They don't mean they've got a Holy Spirit full of love inside of them. Now, they might realize that because of how loving you are, but this is supposed to be the essence. This is supposed to be who we are. This is supposed to be what people perceive as our nature, we're supposed to be living in this selfless way if we're going to love the way that we've been told to love. It's also sacrificial, we said. So if the way that you are loving others costs you nothing, if it doesn't set you back time and resources and um, energy, you know, if it's not costing you something, you're not loving the way that the Bible's told us to love. Look at Jesus' words again. Uh, uh, I know this is, this is cheap for the preacher to be using the same verse twice, but there's two important things here. Matthew chapter 20, verse 28. Look at it again. This time, focus on the second part of the verse with me. Just as the Son of Man did not come to, serve but to, uh, to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many. If loving costs you nothing. Not only is it not like Christ's love, but it also becomes all about yourself. That can be your only motivation. That's the only thing left over, right? If you remove the sacrifice, if you remove the sacrificial aspect of your loving, of your, your selfless service, it's not selfless anymore. It's not service that really matters, that really counts. It's not loving. It becomes an exercise in just bringing yourself joy, in making you feel good, in stirring up your own emotions. Or, or, or maybe it's even more heinous than that so that you can say, well, guess what I did? No, we don't do things for those reasons. Providing love is providing what's spiritually best for others. So if your love, the way you're loving, isn't providing for the actual spiritual needs of other people, you aren't loving the way that the Bible has told us to love. Sometimes we look at the physical needs of people and we take care of those things. Sometimes those things may uh, drain resources. They, they may deplete uh, things that, that, that we use for other purposes. But sometimes the spiritual needs of a person require us to step in and to maybe do things that are uncomfortable. Maybe do things that don't make us 
feel great in the moment. Now, don't get me wrong. You will feel fulfilled in the end. You will feel, you will know you did the right thing, and it will make you feel warm and fuzzy to some degree. But thinking about it, the anxiety and the nervousness that might creep into your mind as you're thinking about what you need to do for this person because it's what's best, it's what they need to hear, it's what they need to know, it's what they need to do. Sometimes that might get a little strange. might not feel super good. All right, we may put ourselves in awkward positions. We may have to put friendships on the line. Sometimes we may have to take down the shields around our own personal comfort and say, you know what, uh, their spiritual well-being is more important than my personal comfort. That's a novel idea, isn't it? I'm glad Jesus felt that way. I'm glad Jesus didn't regard his own personal comfort above what is spiritually best for us. He's the perfect example of agape love, by the way, if you didn't already know that. Sometimes we may have to quit enabling people to sin. You know, and that doesn't mean that you're... Um, now, here's the thing. When you give a drunk a drink, obviously you're enabling when you give someone money, when you know what they're going to turn around and do with it is, is wrong, you're enabling. But sometimes it's just simply your silence. Sometimes it's the fact that you won't speak up and say what needs to be said in a loving way, in a gentle way. But sometimes it's just the fact that we won't say what needs to be said. We won't have the conversation that needs to be had. We won't get down in the trenches and do what needs to be done so that we're not enabling that person. And we end up doing just that. We enable them. We need to quit enabling people to live in sin. And we need to have discussions with them. And we need to tell them they need to turn from that sin. Again, in a gentle way that, that turns away wrath, you know, keeps them from turning on us and being angry. But if they do, and if they won't turn from it, and if you go through the channel, Matthew 18, you know, you go through all that, you bring it to their attention, you take two or three with you, and they don't turn from it, you bring it before the congregation, and they still won't turn from that sin. That's awkward, that's uncomfortable. We're all going to be uncomfortable, don't get me wrong. If they still won't turn from it... We need to put them out of the church. Not because we're angry. Not because we can't believe they would do that. But because it's the loving thing to do. That sounds weird, but it is. Because we're doing it with a spirit of restoration. We're doing it in hopes that they will feel a little bit of the pain of their sin by being pushed out of the family. That they'll feel a little bit of that pain before they have to encounter the eternal pain that's due to them if they never turn from it. Sometimes that's what love looks like. Sometimes. Uh, if that love looks exciting to you, you need to calm down for a second and take a step back. And that's not something we're supposed to relish or enjoy. But that is something that we have to do sometimes. That is the way love can look like sometimes. Now on the other side of that, that feeling, that idea, sometimes we may have to show uh, lots of grace to somebody. Maybe because they're lost. They're outside of the body of Christ. They don't know Jesus, or at least they don't really know who Jesus is. And, and they, they haven't been immersed into Christ. They're not part of his body here on earth. They're not saved and on their way to heaven. They're not living the life. We may have conversations with them, and we may really want to call them on the things they're doing. We may really want to, to jump in and, and, and not sit here and overlook these things. We may want to step in and say, listen, here's the deal. The way you're living is really disrespectful to my God, <laughs> right? I don't like what you're doing. But the loving thing is to be gentle and to do like God did and overlook these things. Until you're in the family. Once you're in the family, you've got to live by the rules, right? 
and we'll talk to those people the way we just talked about before with that what we we call tough love it's just love but what we would describe as tough love but while they're outside of the house we can't expect them to live by the rules in the house it's not the way it works and so sometimes love is showing a lot of grace so that they will come to the point where they look at their sin, they see their sin through the eyes, uh, through a lens of faith in Christ, and they will see their own sin, and they will turn to Jesus. They will repent of that sin, and then they'll take care of all that stuff that was making you so uncomfortable and so upset because of the way they were living in such a disrespectful way to God, right? This is the spirit of love that we've been called to exercise, right? Now, why love? Verses uh, 7 through 10, kind of starting with the middle of verse 7 all the way through verse 10, kind of answers this question. Why love? Why do we need to love? Why do we need to love this way? Why must we love? Well, because love is from God. Love is from God. The second part of verse 7 says, for love is from God. If we are from God, if we belong to God, then shouldn't there be some sort of familial bond? Shouldn't we kind of look like our father, right? I mean, I don't know how many times I've told a joke and they'd be like, you must be Ron Brown's son, right? You're supposed to resemble your, your father, especially your heavenly father. You sure better act like him. There should be some sort of bond where you look like your father love is from God, so we should love as God our father loves. The last part of verse 7 says, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. Okay, those who really know him, those who really know God, consistently love others consistently regularly it's a lifestyle thing okay now john's statement here can easily be misunderstood uh should you so choose to do that uh should you uh maybe not really know god or should you decide to be uh, inconsistent with uh his word what it says everywhere else this is not uh, a statement that means that every single person who feels a loving emotion at some point in time is from god every single person who ever helps someone is from god every everybody who does something kind for somebody else serves them in some sacrificial way it does not mean that that person is from god and knows god this is not a qualification. That is not a qualification for knowing God and being born of God. The one who believes in God, the one who has obeyed the gospel, and the one who is actually consistently, actively following Christ, living for Christ, he or she will consistently, regularly, habitually, actively love in the agape way. Selfless, sacrificial, serving other people. That's what that's talking about. Love is part of the proof that we are God's children, that we are living for God, that we love God, that we know God. It's part of the proof that God is in us, that we aren't quenching the Spirit, that we are walking by the Spirit. Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23 gives us the fruit of the Spirit, right? What's the first thing? The fruit of the Spirit is, all God's people said, love, right? That's the first in the list of the things that are the the fruit, and we don't just say that because, you know, well, that would make a good wall sticker for the nursery, you know, fruit of the Spirit. We'll make a grape love, and we'll make an orange piece. And, no, it's not that. It's because it's something that's produced in our life. When we're Christian, when God is in us, when we're living according to the way he's told us to, these things are produced, right? What, what, does, does fruit just boom? Does it just come up like that? No, it, it grows, and it grows from, from in what way? From the seed that was sown. It grows uh, from the tree it was grown from, the vine that it was connected to. And if God is our Father and we know Him, 
then this is the kind of fruit that comes out. Love is one of those things. So this is proof that God is in us, that we know him. Now, on the flip side, those who never really knew God do not consistently, do not regularly, do not intentionally love others like God loves others. That's what verse 8 is saying. Verse 8 says, the, the one who does not love God does not know God, for God is love. Now, if you were to get really nerdy and, and really geeky, and I do this right about the middle of the week, you would, if you got into the structuring of the, this sentence in the original Greek language, the way it's written, it's saying that the one who does not regularly practice, it doesn't mean, well, I mean, sometimes I do love. I mean, I did something loving. Um, well, Let's see, was that 2018 or 2019? It was before COVID. I remember, you know, no, 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 no. It's saying the one who does not regularly practice, this is not a lifestyle, the one who does not regularly practice agape love toward others, it says never knew God. Kind of sounds like Matthew chapter 7, where these people who said, well, didn't we do this and didn't we do that and we did all this in your name? And he says, depart from me, I never knew you. And you can just see the look on their faces. Never? never knew me? Are you kidding me? Well, that's the way that John wrote this sentence. Uh, from, from the other perspective, though, he's saying that you never knew God. If you don't consistently love him, you never knew him. Because you can't. You can't really know him and just not make this your lifestyle. It, it just can't happen. How could a person who doesn't consistently love really know God when verse 8 at the end says God is love? God is love. Now, that's important to understand. Again, this is one of these things that we say, well, God is love, right? I told you at the beginning we could overlook some of these things, but we need to not do that. This is an important statement that God is love. God is love. It's not that, that he simply uh, is, is one who, who practices love, who, who does this love thing. It's not even just that it's an accurate description of God. No, God is love. It is his essence. It is his nature. It is God's nature to do what is spiritually best for people. And that's the definition of love. God is love. God is the one who does what is spiritually best for others. That is his essence. That is his nature. We talk about the spirit that he's given us. He's not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, discipline. Hey, this is his spirit. This is his nature. This is his essence. He is love. We're going to see in just a second. The only reason we know what love is is because of seeing him demonstrate it. Verse 9 shows us that we were, we were shown the ultimate form of love for a reason. Look at verse 9 again. By this, the love of God was manifested in us. Okay, by this that God sent his only son, his only begotten son, into the world so that we might live through him. The ultimate love in every sense. The ultimate person, God's only begotten son. The ultimate act, he came, his, he sent his son into the world, right? Ultimate result, that we might live through him, right? The only reason we have life, we were walking around dead in our sin before this. We were in the domain of darkness. Uh, Brother Matthew mentioned that in his communion meditation. We were in this dark, uh, sinful uh, place chained to sin chained to the consequences of sin this was our lot in life until he came along and loved us and now we can live through him not just have eternal life but actually now live in 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 the truth that sets us free we we live in freedom from that bondage now and, and we now have been uh, opened up and freed from that so that we can live according to his will which is the best life that you can live on this earth now, it's not your best life ever, <laughs> as some of the uh, cult 
teachers will tell you, living your best life now. No, 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 no. Eternal life is going to be my best life uh, for all eternity. But he has made the way through his love. If it wasn't for agape love, this is why this is so important. If it wasn't for agape love, we wouldn't have life. We wouldn't be able to live through him. It wouldn't be an option. It wouldn't be available to us. Look at verse 10 now. And this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Again, as I said before, we know love because God showed it to us. We don't know love by some emotion we felt or something that we came up with on our own that we said, oh, this would be a great thing. I will offer this to God. I shall call it love. No, it's from God. God showed it to us. God manifested it, uh, it before our very eyes. We know love because God is love and because God demonstrated his love by sending his son to be that fancy P word, the propitiation for our sins. Propitiation uh, is a, a, a means of appeasement. A means of appeasement. The way that someone or something could be appeased, right? What needed appeased? Starts with a G. Two words. Starts with a G. It's, it's a being, an eternal being who is all-powerful. And then the second word starts with a P and ends with our. I, I mean, uh, starts with W and ends with wrath. I got all excited there and totally messed that up. God's wrath, right? That's what needed appeased. God's wrath needed appeased. Now, it was God's power that made it possible that his wrath was something to be feared. So, I mean, technically I was right. God's wrath needed to be appeased. It was due to us. It's the wages of sin is death. It's what we deserve. It was what we earned. By the work that we did, that's what we earned was his wrath. It needed appeased. God offered his one and only son to appease his own wrath. Romans chapter 3 verses 23 uh, through 26 shows us how God is both just and the justifier. He's just because he, he doesn't let sin just be gotten away with, right? He punishes sin, right? He uses his wrath and he punishes uh, sin, wrongdoing. He doesn't let criminals go on the loose, but he's also the justifier in that he uh, himself, God in the flesh, through the person of Jesus Christ, he sent himself, God in the flesh, to this world to pay the price. He is both just and the justifier. He became the propitiation for our sins. Wow. God's wisdom, God's power, God's um, just amazing plan. This was God doing what is spiritually best for us, also known as love. That's what he does. And if God loved us this much, we should love others also. That's what verse 11 says. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. So if God loved us like this, if God loved us this much, if God loved us to this degree, we should love others. Why? <laughs> well, first of all, it just makes sense, right? It, it's logical, Okay, it makes sense in our mind. We can, we can actually say that this is a logical thing. Uh, look just a little bit further uh, on in 1 John chapter 4. Look at verses 19 and 20. John says, in 1 John chapter 4, verses 19 and 20, he says, we love because he first loved us. If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For the one who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. It's logical. It makes sense. Not only is it logical, but we've been commanded. 
Look at the very next verse right there. 1 John chapter 4, uh, verse 21 now. And this commandment we have from him, that the one who loves God should love his brother also. We've been commanded because we say we love God that we should also love our brothers. We don't get to be this antisocial Christian who gets to have this exclusive relationship. It's just me and God. Just, just me and him. Just me and him. We're, you know, we're like this. You know, sorry, you guys can't serve you. Not interested in loving you. But I love God. Mm-mm. Can't do that. Can't, can't be that way. We can't disregard the needs of our brothers and sisters in Christ. We have a commandment from him that if we love God, we should love others also. Jesus said in John 13, verses 34 and 35, talking to his disciples, he said a new commandment, I give to you that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, this is important, by this all men will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. If we truly intend to follow Jesus, we must love, not an undercover love, not a love that says, well, you just don't see all the things that I do. Well, I should see some of them. (laughs) Some of what you're doing should be visible to me. I mean, I'm not saying that I'm just going around looking, you know, hey, I haven't seen any love from you lately. You know, what's going on? You know, turn in your list to me at the end of the week. I'd like to see all the love that you're showing. But I should see something. You can't just not love in a way that, that... Here's the thing. It's an excuse. It's an excuse. We say, well, there was that time that I loved. There was that time that I did that great big thing that was really sacrificial and um, you know I have the opportunity to do this but instead I went and I did that that's not doing it in such a way that other people will know that you are following Jesus it's just not and it condemns us this this statement by Jesus Christ condemns us when we are not serving our brothers and sisters we're not loving them in selfless and sacrificial ways this passage these words that came out of jesus who is the christ's mouth condemn us when we're not doing it because he says that when you're doing it men will know that you're my disciples not only is it logical not only is it a commandment but if we don't love others we don't see heaven if we don't love others, we don't see heaven. The Bible makes that pretty clear. 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 12 and 13. Uh, look there with me real quick. 1 Thessalonians 3, verses 12 and 13 says, And may the Lord cause you to increase and abound in love for one another. You hear what's important to Paul as he's uh, got a, a, basically a prayer for these people? May the Lord cause you to increase and abound in love for one another and for all people, just as we also do for you, so that, Here's a big fat so that. (laughs) So that he may establish your hearts without blame in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. The Lord's coming back. And when he does, do you want to be numbered among the saints? Yes, sure, of course you do. Of course you do. Now, if you want to be established in him, if you want to be standing steadfast on the solid rock, and you want to be numbered among the saints when he sends his son, Jesus Christ, back to give that great heavenly roll call, you got to love. you got to love the way that we're talking about this morning, the way that John wrote about in 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 through 12 that we're looking at here this morning. You've got to be all about. It's got to be your essence. It's got to be your spirit. It's got to be what people look at you and say, that's what they're all about. You've got to love in this way, doing what is spiritually best for others, or you don't see heaven. 
So in 1 John chapter 4, we've seen the command to love. We've seen the answer to the question, why love? That's what the bulk of it is, all these reasons to love. And in verse 12, we see the divine purpose. And here's one that probably really gets overlooked. And we'll just spend just a minute on it. 1 John chapter 4, verse 12 says, No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. Now, where did this come from? Just out of nowhere, no one has seen God at any time. <laughs> is John just going, you've never seen God? No, there, there, there's a reason here. In, in his letter that, that John's writing here, he's been dealing with these Gnostic thinkers, okay? All about knowledge and, and secret, special, mystical uh, knowledge, right? Now, he's not writing to them, uh, but he's writing to Christians who have been influenced by them, who are having to deal with these Gnostic-minded people. A again, all, all you really need to know, we don't have time to go through a, a, an in-depth explanation, but all you really need to know for now about these Gnostic thinkers is that they believed that, that knowledge was, was king. And knowledge is important, education and understanding, that stuff's important. But here's where they were really strange about it. Uh, that's how they thought, uh, well, that's how they taught. I'm not convinced they really thought this. That's how they taught that you receive salvation through a mystical receiving uh, from some lesser God, some angel, something that was sent uh, in a vision or a dream or something to impart this knowledge into you. All of a sudden, oh, I know things about God. And it was knowledge that you received, but she didn't. She may have received something else. And so, needless to say, everybody kind of had their own idea of, of God and, you know, sin and repentance and things like that didn't really come up. But it was all about this receiving this mystical, special knowledge of God. Well, with that in mind, it's apparent that John is refuting the Gnostic-minded here and stating plainly, no, 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 no one has seen God. That's not how this works. That's not how you know God, right? He's already talked all about how you know God, right? Through loving people, you know that you know God. If you love people and that you're born of God, you know those things. So he's saying no one has seen God. That's not how you know who God is. That's not how you know you belong to him. Nobody's seen God. No, instead he says, if we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. Now, now we've already discussed, John's already covered it, and we've already discussed the significance of our loving one another and others and how that plays a role, a significant role in um, us being certain that God is in us that we're living for him, uh, that we are, can be assured that we belong to him. We've already talked about that. But, but now John adds something very important, something very special at the very end here. So we don't know God because of some mystic experience where we saw him. We received some knowledge about him. None of us have seen him, he says. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. His love is perfected in us. This word perfected here has the meaning to bring to completion, to accomplish, to finish. When God put his plan of love toward us into motion, he had a goal in mind. He had a plan. He, he had something he wanted to accomplish through this. He wanted us to love also. He wanted us to also perform the same selfless, sacrificial, servant-style love that he demonstrates toward us. He wants us to do that kind of love to one another. When we consistently, when we regularly, when we, we uh, habitually demonstrate not a spirit of fear, but the spirit of love that he's given us, that shows us 
that this love which God is in his nature, we talked about in verse 7, and which is manifested in his son, verses 9 and 10 covered that, has accomplished its divine purpose. This is the intended goal. This is the, the divine purpose here of God's love. When his children turn around and start demonstrating that familial bond, start acting like him, start loving the way that he loved us. He did it so that we would also do it back, so that we would start mimicking him, so that we would love. When his children are loving, that's fulfilling the divine purpose, when that's our essence, when that's who we are, when it could accurately be described as the spirit that we've been given. We've been given a spirit of love. The Bible is not wrong. We have been given a spirit of love. And it's when that love is reproduced in our lives that his love is perfected in us. That's what that verse means. That is when the mission is accomplished, that particular mission. What about you? How are you living? Can you, can you honestly say that you're not living in fear, but you're living in faith, demonstrating love? Demonstrating love day in, day out consistently, regularly, in a lifestyle kind of way? And, and answer me this. Answer yourself this. Can you honestly say that your brothers and sisters in Christ look at you and think, boy, there's a person that's really living with that spirit of love, really using that spirit of love? Or others, those outside the body of Christ, do others look at you? Could they accurately say, yeah, I, I see that in them. I see that they just are always, it's like they don't care about their own concerns. They're always worried about other people. They always want to uh, meet the needs of other people. You know, they may not know it because they probably haven't studied agape love. But when they start saying, you serve other people, you're selfless, you sacrifice, they're saying that you practice agape love. We all ought to be loving like Christ. We've been commanded We've been given every reason why we should, and we've been shown that our love is part of God's divine purpose. Now it's up to you. It's up to you to, to weigh what you've heard, to, to, to weigh what you've heard this morning and to decide what you're going to do with it. To consider what you've seen in the Scriptures this morning, all over the New Testament. To consider what you've, what you've heard from the Scriptures and to choose to do what God has called us to do. I hope that you'll spend some time this week studying more about this love, studying more about it, going a little deeper with this than we are able to do just right here this morning in this uh, relatively brief period of time. And that through that, you'll not just gain knowledge, but you'll gain an appetite, a, a bigger appetite to learn about love and to demonstrate love. Thank you.